Welcome to the Myth, Legend, and Lore podcast. Today, I have the joy of welcoming Noah Tetzner, good friend, host of the History of Vikings podcast and author of the Poetic Edda, A Study Guide. As many of you will already know, Noah discusses various aspects of Viking history and Norse mythology with wonderful guests, many of whom are experts in their fields. His study guide is a welcome addition and a highly recommended book for anyone interested in learning, reading or researching the Poetic Edda. Noah, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Siobhan. It's really an honor to be here. Oh, it's an absolute delight to have you. Um, So the History of Vikings podcast has been such a huge success. And when you announced the publication of the Poetic Edda Study Guide, there was quite a bit of excitement. And I have to say, the reviews are brilliant. So I guess my first question is, why did you decide to take on the Poetic Edda as a project? And why do you feel the Edda is so important to those who are interested in Norse mythology? Well, you know, I've been doing the History of Vikings podcast for a little over two years, and while we do many episodes about the history of medieval Scandinavia and Iceland, you know, the Viking Age, Mm. we also discuss Old Norse religion and Old Norse mythology as well. And as far as sort of this concept of, you know, where do we get the Norse myths from? Where do we get this idea of Thor and Odin and and Mm -hmm. Loki and the gods of Asgard and the Asir and the Vanir? Where do we get that from? Um, Well, there's a variety of literary sources um, that tell of the Norse gods, the chief of these is a collection of medieval Icelandic poems written down in the 13th century called the Poetic Edda. So the Poetic Edda is really sort of our, if you had to pick one, I guess it would be sort of our key source for Norse mythology. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, it's a collection of Icelandic poems, uh, most of which can be traced back to one manuscript called the Codex Regis, uh, which was written in about 1270 AD. Now, while these poems were written in 1270 AD, uh, it's important to remember that they were, of course, passed down orally generation to generation long before they were ever written down. In other words, they uh, are many years older, many hundreds of years older indeed than the year 1270. Well, when somebody picks up a copy of the Poetic Edda and decides to read it, it can be somewhat overwhelming. I know when I first became interested in Norse mythology, it was sort of an overwhelming and and rather daunting read for me. You know, you're dealing with medieval poetry that uh, in some ways is archaic. You're dealing with... um, poems that in some way are kind of obscure in that at first glance you really are having a difficult time in certain stanzas understanding what the uh, the author or writer is trying to say mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of underlying meanings that only somebody who really deeply studies uh norse literature would be able to understand so i decided to write a comprehensive easy to read 
uh, no-nonsense study guide to the Poetic Edda. So if anyone out there has used, you know, spark notes for maybe some of your um, literature in school or university uh, courses, uh, my book, The Poetic Edda, A Study Guide, sort of serves as a spark notes version of The Poetic Edda. It's only um, 100 pages, I should say a little over 100 pages, and it breaks down The Poetic Edda stanza by stanza. Um, when I started my podcast, The History of Vikings, I had uh, listeners of the show emailing me wondering where to start with the Poetic Edda. And um, they had they had told me that, you know, it was it was rather confusing for them at first glance to read, you know, people who weren't really familiar with the Norse myths and legends, gods and heroes. So that's really why I decided to um write the Poetic Edda study guide because I, I really do have a heart for uh, keeping these these timeless myths alive and um, really making them accessible to a, a very, very broad and large readership. Well, I mean, I have to say I'm, I'm really grateful that you did do this, but it must have been an intensive process of writing and condensing because, my goodness, you cover 34 poems and it's such an immense amount of work. Yeah, indeed. Indeed it was. You know, when I started writing the Poetic Edda Study Guide, fortunately, um, I did have uh, somewhat of a background dealing with um, Old Norse literature in the Norse myths due to the uh, numerous interviews I had conducted on my podcast, The History of Vikings. On The History of Vikings, I had interviewed on multiple occasions uh, translators of the Poetic Edda. I had interviewed uh, Caroline Larrington mm -hmm. of Oxford University. I believe we'll be using her translation today mm -hmm. on two occasions. Occasions, and then now on three occasions, I've conducted interviews with uh, University of Colorado Boulder Poetic Edda translator, Dr. Jackson Crawford. And uh, additionally, I had conducted numerous interviews with um, experts in Old Norse literature, um, wonderful scholars from the University of Iceland and other you know, prestigious universities. And really, I listened back to those interviews a lot of times that talked about Norse myths and the uh, Poetic Edda. And I used those as sort of an insight uh, into writing this study guide. Mm -hmm. um, when I wrote the Poetic Edda study guide, I focused on two translations of the Poetic Edda, which in my mind are uh, the, the two best translations, certainly my personal favorites, and those are the translations of uh, Dr. Caroline Larrington and Dr. Jackson Crawford. Oh, now, yeah. Dr. Jackson Crawford's translation is certainly written for a uh, 21st century readership in that it is written in uh, comprehensive, easy-to-understand English. Mm -hmm. And while Dr. Larrington's translation is not difficult to understand. It really goes more in depth. Um, it has a wonderful selection of notes at the back of the book that break down all of these kinnings and, and, hidden, meeting, and hidden meanings within the Poetic Edda, um, which really is in, in many ways sort of like a, an encyclopedia a dictionary for all of these terms of Norse mythology. And I combined the, the insight of both of these prolific scholars and their marvelous translations into my book, The Poetic Edda, A Study Guide. So for anyone who um, is interested in, in learning more about the Edda, I, I do recommend those translations, absolutely. Oh yeah, I actually, I own both of them and I use them all the time. They're fantastic, both for their own reasons. And I do really enjoy the note section at um, the back of uh, Professor Caroline Larrington's translation. It's so, so helpful. 
your study guide is a wonderful introduction. And when you were writing, did you have a, that particular group in mind of people who maybe felt a little intimidated and perhaps that the Norse poetry or myths were a little bit complex? Mm. Certainly, I certainly did. You know, one thing that uh, nobody doubts we're witnessing now is really a revival of interest in the Viking Age and a revival and in interest of uh, Norse language, myth, and culture. You know, that's due in large part to the uh, popular media of the 21st century. Mm -hmm. TV show Vikings has mm -hmm. been unprecedented in, in promoting this, this uh, time period in history. And what that's done is that has encouraged uh, so many people to really want to know more and want to dig deeper, you know. Um, they hear of the Norse god Thor, and they hear of the um, Norse god Odin, and, um, you know, they, they find that very interesting. They want to dig deeper and, and say, you know, what did the medieval Icelanders, what did the Vikings think about Thor and Odin? How did the Norse and the Vikings worship their gods? What are the stories that they pass down orally, generation after generation, say about these deities? Um, and these people who are really inspired by Norse language and myth and want to know more, um, really, they are my target audience for my study guide, because as I said earlier, um, I really have a heart for making Norse myth and um, these stories and legends accessible to such a, a large audience, indeed a large, as large an audience as possible. And I, I hope that my study guide really is a, a noble companion for anyone who picks up a copy of the Edda and uh, wants to um, experience its, its timeless myths for themselves. Well, I can honestly say that there are lots of people out there that are very, very grateful that you took this project on. When you're researching, did you find that you had a chance to enjoy the poems a little bit or were you very focused throughout the project? I, absolutely. I enjoyed every moment of writing this study guide. And well, I was very much um, attentive to the fact that, you know, I wanted to write this in an easily understandable way for a... Um, for you know novice readers who are unfamiliar with with norse myth uh really um taking on this project grew my own passion and understanding of the norse myths uh so exponentially um really this is the first time that i've ever in my life focused so much on one piece of literature um you know i've been mm -hmm. i've read uh so many of the classic books and indeed, you know, the classical literature of ancient Greece and in ancient Rome, you know, throughout my youth um, and even to this day. But really, I've never spent so much time on one piece of literature. And uh, it was really fun to do that with the Poetic Edda because so many of the poems are different and they lead you to these uh, fascinating rabbit trails. You know, you'll be reading about one poem and it'll connect to um, this other skaldic poem or, you know, the Prose Edda, which was written by Icelandic historian Snorri Sturluson about Norse myth. Yeah. And it just leads you to all of these different things. And uh, it, it just has grown my passion for Norse myth uh, so deeply. I've enjoyed every minute of writing this study guide. Oh, my goodness. So would you say, I mean, aside from what we're about to talk about in a wee moment or two, is there a god, myth or poem within the Edda that you find yourself drawn to or enjoy reading about time and time again? Mm. I love so many of the poems in the Poetic Edda, and I find each of the, the Norse gods and their human heroes fascinating in their own right. Um, I've had a particular connection to 
uh, the poem of Voland, which we're uh, going to be talking about today, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. I've also uh, always been drawn to the poem Voluspa, which deals with the creation and destruction of the universe in Norse cosmology. Of course, the destruction being the great final battles of Ragnarok. And I've also loved the latter poems uh that are sort of situated in the middle and towards the end of the Poetic Edda that deal with the powerful Volsung family oh, in yeah. Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, descendants of the gods themselves, the Volsungs were. And um, the reason why I've perhaps been so interested in the the Volsungs, which of course additionally are featured in the um, Old Norse saga, the saga of the Volsungs, is because really that's what got me into Norse mythology in the first place. Uh, years ago, when I was in high school, I was taking a high school literature class, and my history literature teacher assigned us to read the Saga of the Volsungs, which, uh, for any listeners who um, you know, grew up in uh, schools here in the United States, be they public or private, you'll know that that's quite rare. Mm, <laughs> we yeah. don't read much about uh Norse literature in in schools in the United States, but uh, my literature teacher was a fantastic guy. He assigned us to read the Saga of the Volsungs, and I absolutely fell in love with it. That is the first time I had ever really um, even heard about, you know, the Norse myths apart from, you know, popular culture, Thor and Odin, etc. And I wanted to know more. So when I was reading the Saga of the Volsungs in high school, I had uh, typed that into YouTube, you know, the Saga of the Volsungs, and I stumbled upon the wonderful YouTube channel of Dr. Jackson Crawford, who, as we said earlier, is a translator of the Poetic Edda and indeed the Saga of the Volsungs. And the way that he just delved in so deeply to that saga in his insightful, deeply researched videos just absolutely uh, sparked my interest in Norse myth. So that's kind of what what has been uh, and is still of great interest in the Poetic Edda for me. Fantastic. I had to say the YouTube channel for um, Dr. Jackson Crawford is such a great resource. It really is. Um, it's wonderful. And I think it's important um, to branch out into as many areas as possible. And I know that you have been creating videos on your YouTube channel as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, 2020, uh, this year, uh, it's currently February of 2020, uh, here at the History Vikings, we're focusing a great amount of time, effort, and resources on YouTube. Um, I've been fortunate enough to see success through the podcast, and we really want to, this year, uh, reach out to an entirely new audience in addition to the podcast through video content. So we're creating weekly documentaries that deal with uh, the Viking Age and Norse mythology. Um, two weeks ago, we released a video titled Harald Hardrada, Warrior King of Norway. Um, it was a documentary about um, the Norwegian king, Harald Hardrada. Um, last week, we released a video titled The Life and Legend of Ragnar Lothbrok, a uh, Viking king who certainly needs no introduction. And uh, this week, we'll be releasing a video um, titled The Viking Afterlife, From Hell to Valhalla, and sort of dealing with the way in which the Vikings viewed death and um, where one was thought to have gone after they died. So um, absolutely, um, for anyone interested in really experiencing these myths and histories in a, a more visual and tangible format, do be sure to check out our YouTube channel, The History of Vikings. 
So with the podcast being so successful and now you have the publication of your wonderful book, do you have plans to write in the future? I do. I really do. Um, this has been a um, an absolute treat, writing this study guide, and I want to keep writing. Now, at the moment, I have so many ideas as to what I, I could possibly write about. You know, I could do another study guide. I could do a, um, a more comprehensive history of the Viking Age. Um, and this is something I'll certainly keep listeners uh, in the know about on my podcast, but I'd love to do something more with Norse myths, um, perhaps a retelling accompanied by, um, you know, textual evidence and really diving into the sources, sort of a retelling of these myths um, combined with uh, in-depth research as um as i've done in my study guide that's sort of something a guide to the norse myths if you will that i'd like to do in the future so um listeners can absolutely uh and will look forward to that well that's incredibly exciting my goodness and the amount of work does not decrease at all for you <laughs> oh it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> Well, um, thank you so much, Noah. I mean, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you for answering my questions. And usually at this point in an episode, what I like to do is include a piece of myth, legend or lore. Um, so as we briefly mentioned there, we're, we're quite excited to talk about a poem that we both enjoy, which is Voland Darkvitha, or The Lay of Voland, um, from Professor Caroline Larrington's translation of the Poetic Edda. I did an episode on the podcast a while ago about Voland the Smith. It's fascinating for more than a few reasons. But what interests you about it, Noah? Um, what in particular about this story really caught your attention? Mm. The poem of Voland, or the lay of Voland, as, as you say, is actually one of the um, oldest sort of Norse poems within the Poetic Edda that we have available to us. And it's the oldest and it's it's significant in that it deals with elves in Norse mythology mm -hmm. and indeed other sort of mythological themes, which we'll get into in a few moments, I'm sure, that are not mentioned elsewhere in Norse literature. Well, I should say they are mentioned, but not in in great detail. So that's mm -hmm. rather significant. You know, um, in the a, um, in the lay of Voland, Voland, a cunning smith um, who fashions um objects of unprecedented wealth and craftsmanship is referred to as even being prince of the elves and sort of when talking about you know norse um, heroes and gods and other mythological creatures elves are a group of individuals that we we never really hear hear much about you know we hear mm. a lot about the gods the asir and Van vanir both families of gods um we hear about the Jotnar, the giants, the sworn enemies of Thor and the gods of uh, Valhalla and Vanaheim, the home of the Vanir gods. And, you know, we hear about other mythological beings as well, certainly heroes and, and so forth. Um, but we don't hear much about elves, yet Voland is, is considered to be the prince of the elves. So that's just one interesting thing that stands out to me. And, and I just think it's such a great story as well. So before we get to the poem, uh, Noah, would you be able to explain how you have arranged each poem in the guide? Absolutely. So if you pick up a copy of my study guide, you'll see that each poem in the Edda has sort of an overview that I've that I've written for it. Just, you know, somebody who um, is able to take a look at this poem and just sort of 
uh, understand the context in which it was written. My overview serves as a nice introduction to each of the poems and really, I would like to think, clears up a lot of potential confusion before the reader even launches into the stanzas. And then I break each of the stanzas down into sections, you know, stanzas 1 through 10, and I provide a summary and explanation, stanzas 10 through 20, so on and so forth. So that's how I have everything um, really arranged in the study guide. Oh no, it's, it's really well done. It's so methodical. And um, I think it actually really helps the flow of the poem as well, um, especially one like this where there's clear movement um, in the story. Would you be able to give us the overview that you've included in your study guide for the Lay of Boland, please? Absolutely, it would be my pleasure. Well, uh, the poem of Voland, or the Lay of Voland, is indeed a fascinating poem that follows the journey of a cunning smith called Voland. The poem encompasses many different mythic elements, including Voland's marriage to a Valkyrie, his imprisonment by King Nithuth, and the brutal revenge he carries out. In the poem, Voland is referred to as being an elf, or even Prince of the Elves, depending on which translation you decide to read. We know very little about elves in Norse myth, so this is rather significant. The poem begins by introducing the major characters. First of all, uh, the Swedish king Nithuth, who has two sons and a daughter called Bothvild, and Volin's brothers, Slogfin and Egil, and their father, King Finni. Voland and his brothers, called Ski and Hunt, uh, build a home for themselves in a place called Wolfdale. One day, they find three women at a lake uh, called Wolf Lake, and the women are Valkyries, who wear swan skins and spin thread. Voland and his brothers each take home one of the Valkyries to be their wives, and they all live that way for seven years. Eventually, the Valkyries leave Voland and his brothers to visit battlefields, and they never come back. Egil and Slogfin go off skiing in search of their wives, but Voland stays home. He is very skilled with his hands, being a cunning smith, and King Nuthuth has him seized. So that is sort of an introduction to the Lay of Voland. That's absolutely wonderful. Well, at this point, I think, no reason to delay. I would love to invite you to read the stanzas that you've chosen today. Certainly. Well, I've chosen to read stanzas uh, 1 through 10 of the Elay of Voland because they are my favorites. And we will be reading today from the translation of Dr. Caroline Larrington. Here goes stanza 1. Girls flew south from Mirkwood, strange young creatures, to fulfill fate. There on a lake shore they sat to rest, the southern ladies spun precious linen. One of them began to enclose Egil in her arms, the fair living girl in bright embrace. Another was swan white, she wore swan feathers, and the third, their sister, wound her arms around Volan's white neck. They stayed thus for seven winters, but on the eighth, they suffered anguish, and in the ninth, necessity parted them. The girls yearned for the dark wood, the strange young creatures, to fulfill fate. Then came from hunting the weathered-eyed shooter. Slogfin and Egil found the halls empty. They went in and out and looked about. 
Egil skied off after Ulrun, and Slagfin went after Swan White. But Voland sat alone in Wolfdales. He struck red gold about a fire-set gem. He closed up the serpent rings well, so he waited for his shining woman if she were to make her way back to him. Nithuth heard, Lord of Nyar, that Voland sat alone in Wolfdales. By night men journeyed. Their corslets studded, their shields glinted in the waning moon. They dismounted from their saddles at the hall's gable wall. They went in there along the hall. They saw all the bast rope rings threaded, several hundred in all, which this warrior owned. And they took them off, and they put them back, all but one which they left off. Then there came from hunting the weather-eyed shooter, Voland traveling over the long road. He went to roast the flesh of the brown she-bear, high-burned with kindling the very dry fur, the wind-dried wood in front of Voland. He sat on a bear-skinned, counted rings the prince of the elves. He missed one. He thought that Hlodver's daughter, the strange young creature, had come back again. So Voland realizes that one of his rings had been taken, but he thinks that his um, long-lost Valkyrie lover had returned home and taken it from him. A marvelous, marvelous beginning to a poem. The imagery alone is quite impressive. Mm, it certainly is. It certainly is. And, you know, uh, I just find it, it, it really interesting. There's so many great mythological themes in this first section of the poem mm -hmm. uh, dealing with, you know, this idea of uh, the forest and uh, bears, you know, something that uh, some people have connected to the Sami, the indigenous people of Finland, <laughs> you know, and um, just, you know, some familiar names as well. You know, this idea of in stanza one, girls flew south from Mirkwood. Um, that is uh, obviously a name that uh, I believe is used in Tolkien's uh, mythological universe, you know, the Lord of the Rings yes. and the Hobbit, you know, the Mirkwood Elves, I believe it is. So uh -huh. yet another interesting connection to sort of this idea of elves and Norse myth. Perhaps we could talk about the Valkyries as well, because that's really interesting. Yeah, well, Valkyries are um, fascinating mythological creatures that we see time and again in Norse myth. And I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with sort of the concept of, of a Valkyrie. But for those who aren't, uh, Valkyries are these mythological um, female fate figures in Norse mythology. They serve the high god Odin and uh, live with him in his hall of Valhalla. And whenever a warrior uh, dies in battle with, um, you know, sword in hand, um, Odin sends his um, his warrior maidens, the Valkyries, down to Midgard, down to um, the realm in Norse mythology where humans live. And uh, these female warrior maidens uh, take those fallen warriors to Valhalla to be with Odin, to be among his 800 Einherjar, that is his elite, um, his elite warriors who um, train and fight every single day in Valhalla um, to eventually fight alongside him against the giants in the final battle of Ragnarok. Mm -hmm. And uh, this idea of swan maidens is another interesting sort of mythological theme. Um, 
There is a, a fascinating painting uh, that was done in, um, I should say, a fascinating illustration that was um, actually included in Frederick Sanders' 1893 edition of the Poetic Edda of Three Swan Maidens, uh, indeed those who are mentioned in the Lay of Volan. So you can absolutely um, check that out. I believe it's in the uh, Wikimedia Commons, um, and it's it's really just a fascinating visual to this um, this concept of Valkyries and, and Swan Maidens in Norse mythology. Oh, it's wonderful. We'll definitely include that in the show description. It's really interesting. Another interesting thing, as I was reading, it kind of appeared to me that um, as long as the husbands had possession of the Valkyrie's swan skins, they were tied to them. But as soon as the Valkyries find them, they leave. It's not usually something that we find with Valkyries. No, it's not. And, and it's also interesting to note that, and we see this in, you know, um, other aspects of Old Norse literature as well. You know, we see uh, human beings or at least, you know, human heroes that are, um, you know, in part human beings. Mm -hmm. um, well, I should say, um, at least they're not gods, you know, these these great mythological heroes. We, we see them at numerous occasions, you know, falling in love with uh, Valkyries, you know, the famous hero uh, Sigurd the Dragon Slayer, you know, sort of the main character of the Saga of the Volsungs, you know, Brynhild, yeah. uh, one of his lovers, you know, um, is said to be a Valkyrie. So so it's interesting how, um, how, how mortals, you know, can fall in love with these Valkyries. But of course, um, oftentimes they're... Um, they're um, um, busy and preoccupied with their uh, most important role of uh, being fate figures and in the service of the high god Odin. Something else that kind of struck me as well, and I think that um, it really starts from the beginning, is this idea of loss and suffering. And it's something that continues throughout the poem. It, it really is, absolutely. Um, you know, as we um, as we continue to read the poem, um, you know we, we'll hear about without giving it away sort of the unfortunate events that um, occur to our, our hero and cunning smith Voland. But but loss is certainly a, a mythological theme in this poem, and indeed one that is an archetype of, of the Valkyries. You know, dealing with the loss of, of of men's lives, and and really you know how the Vikings viewed death and how um, they celebrated. A heroic death is, um, is 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 really fascinating as well. You know, there's there's a fantastic book out there um, by a scholar, Tolkien scholar Tom Shippey, called "Laughing Shall I Die: oh. The um, The Lives and Deaths of Great Vikings." And and really the whole the whole premise of that book is is what I'll be talking about in our upcoming YouTube video on Viking Afterlife. You know, how the Vikings view death. Um, is perhaps one of the things that enabled these medieval Scandinavian warriors to be so successful. You know, the Vikings in many ways uh, loathed an ordinary death, these mm -hmm. warriors. You know, they looked yeah. forward to um, a heroic loss of one's lives. So that's a, an interesting archetype that involves Valkyries. Oh, no, thank you for mentioning that book because it is absolutely fantastic. Well, the stances I've chosen today take us to the close of the poem. But Noah, I think it might be nice if we gave the audience an idea about the main body of the story. Certainly. Well, stanzas 10 through 20 pick up right where we left off, where uh, Voland sits on a bearskin and notices that uh, one of his rings is missing. 
he begins to think that his wife, the Valkyrie, has taken one of the rings, that she's returned back home to him, and he waits for her return and falls asleep in the process. When he awakens, he finds himself bound in chains, and King Nithuth, the Swedish king, asks where he had found the gold used to make all of the rings. Voland claims that the gold was rightfully his, and Nithuth's queen enters the hall. She says that Voland is not friendly, and King Nithuth gives his daughter Voland's ring while he, while he keeps Voland's sword for himself. Nithuth's queen insults Voland, and his hamstrings are cut so that he cannot escape. Voland is then placed on an island called Sverstoth and crafts many treasures for King Nithuth. He never sleeps and works constantly, plotting his revenge against the Swedish king. King Nithu's two young sons come to the island where Voland works. He peers inside a chest filled with ornaments of gold and gems that Voland has made. He promises to give all of the treasure to the boys if they will come back to the island two days later. The boys come back to the island on the appointed day, and Voland cuts off their heads. He then takes their skulls, scalps them, and makes them into silver cups, which he sends to King Nithu. From their eyes, he makes jewellery for the queen, and from their teeth, he makes ornaments for Bothbild, Nithu's daughter. Bothbild had broken her ring, but Voland says that he would repair it for her. He gives her beer, and Bothbild falls asleep drunk. Voland flies away from the island, and Bothbild loathes the departure of her new lover. Voland lands atop the wall where Nithu's queen stands outside, and asks the king if he is awake. I am always awake, deprived of joy. I sleep very little since my son's deaths. It's icy in my head. Cold are your counsels to me. I wish now that I could talk with Voland. Tell me, Voland, Prince of Elves, what became of my healthy young cubs? First you shall give me all these oaths, by the side of a ship and the rim of a shield, the back of a horse and the edge of a blade, that you will not torment Voland's lady, nor be the slayer of my bride, though I have a wife who is known to you, and we have a child inside your hall. Go to the smithy, the one you built. There you'll find bellows splattered with blood. I cut off the heads of your young cubs, and in the mud of the forge I laid their limbs. And their skulls, which were under their hair, I chased with silver, sent them to Nithuth. And the precious stones from the eyes I sent to Nithuth's cunning wife. And from the teeth of the two, I struck round brooches, sent them to Bothfield. Now Bothfield is with child, the only daughter of you both. You could say no words that would grieve me more, nor, Voland, would I deny you any worse a fate. There is no man so tall that he could reach you from horseback, nor so powerful that he could shoot you down from a blow, there where you hover against the cloud. Laughing, Voland rose in the air, and Nithuth sadly sat there behind. Get up, Thadrak, my best thrall, Ask Bothfield, the white-lashed girl, to come in splendid clothes to speak with her father. Is it true, Bothfield, what they say to me? Did you and Voland sit together on the island? It is true, Nithuth, what he said to you. Voland and I sat together on the island, alone for a tide-turning time. It should never have happened. I did not know how to strive against him. I was not able to strive against him. 
let's say that's quite a powerful ending to what is really an incredible poem altogether. Mm, it certainly is. It certainly is. You know, it's interesting sort of, um, you know, how, how we are um, sort of, at least some of us are come to view Voland as really the hero of the story in the beginning. You know, he was uh, treated very, he was treated very poorly by King Nithuth, you know, seized and then obviously um, sort of treated as a slave where he was, um, you know, his hamstrings were, were cut, no doubt extremely painful. And he was mm. placed on an island where he was forced to craft um, all of these, these treasures for, for King um, Nithuth. But then, you know, at the end in, in, part of his revenge for King Nithuth, you know, not only does he, he kill the, the Swedish king's sons, but he also, you know, forces himself upon, uh, the king's daughter, Bothfield. Uh, so it is quite a, a gruesome story in that way, but, but indeed a, a fascinating story and one that has, um, you know, stood the test of time for centuries. Noah, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And I extend an open invitation for you to return. You are most certainly welcome to come back any time at all. But for now, where can listeners purchase a copy of your study guide and, of course, tune into the History of Vikings podcast? Certainly. Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Siobhan. It's been just an absolute pleasure reading this poem and discussing it with you today. Um, and I would be delighted to return as a guest on the podcast. It'd be an honor. Mm. Uh, well, listeners can find a copy of my book, The Poetic Edda, a Study Guide on Amazon.com. You just type in The Poetic Edda, a Study Guide uh, by me, Noah Tetzner. And um, in terms of the history of Vikings, you can listen to the podcast uh, wherever you are listening to this podcast, Myth, Legend, and Lore, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the usual places, um, you know, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram, just at History of Vikings on Twitter or The History of Vikings on Instagram. So um, those are all of the places that you can find the study guide and the podcast as well. My sincere thanks again, Noah. I will provide links and information on Noah's book, The Poetic Edda Study Guide, and to the History of Vikings podcast, their website, Twitter and YouTube channel in the show description. I'm Siobhan Clark. Thank you for listening to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. <laughs>